You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 231. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have a busy show planned for you this week as we prepare to launch our fall 2023 DIY stock investing webinars. Tickets are now on sale and they're going fast. Do not miss out on this event. Last year at this time, we recommended Hammond Power at our fall event. It has jumped 275% in a down market over the past year. We'll have our top seven stocks at this fall's webinar. Now this week, Aaron will answer a question on Tesla, T-S-L-A on the NASDAQ. After the EV maker disappointed on Q3 earnings and the stock dropped, I will answer a question on which stocks tend to outperform in a recession, including one less conventional company to consider. Brennan answers a viewer question on NTG Clarity Network, symbol NCI on the TSX Venture, a true nanocap that provides telecom and IT software and support solutions for telecom utilities and enterprise government and finance companies. The tiny company has been profitable and viewers ask if it is an opportunity or a value trap. Finally, in our star and dog segment, Brett's dog of the week is solar technology symbol SEDG on the NASDAQ, which specializes in creating direct current optimized inverter systems for solar photovoltaic applications. Brennan. You pronounce that wrong all the time. That's the problem. Spit it out. That's now I am pronouncing it the way you do. I blame you. The stock, which took a huge hit this past week on poor outlook, is trading at $84, down over 70% year to date and 36% over the past month. Our star of the week is Celestica, symbol CLS on both the TSX and the New York Stock Exchange. Celestica delivers innovative supply chain solutions to the global customer market. Brent and Brett details why this star is up 123% in the past six months, putting the price at $35.50 Canadian, a price it has not seen since 2002. Now let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn and the killer bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Good, good. Preparing good, for good, our good, upcoming good. seminars, obviously. Yeah, those are coming up. Exciting time of year for us. Yeah, for sure. We have we have our DIY webinars this November. They're called Building a Stock Portfolio for 2024 from AI to Electrification and Buffett's Great Stocks. We're going to show you how to build that simple 15 to 25 stock portfolio. Those are on November 2nd, 7 p.m. Pacific, November 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern. There's early bird tickets, VIP tickets. You can all check it all out at www.keystocks.com. We also have a full 
VIP webinar. You get our full VIP service. If you've been listening to us on the podcast, you like what we say, you want us to help you build that simple 15 to 25 stock portfolio, uh, sign up for that VIP webinar. It's on the Saturday. I think that's the fifth, Brennan, correct? Um, Why am I asking Brennan? Because he's got a calendar right there. He's got a calendar. Yes, it's it's true. Yes, it's the fourth. There, see, this is why he knows. So if you want to go to that event, uh, it's a great event to attend. Five hours, going to give you 15 stocks from our VIP portfolio to put into your portfolio over the next year. But if you just want to attend, find out a little bit more about what we do, get six or seven stock picks from our universe, uh, our top AI stock, top dividend growth stock, top SaaS, top cash rich healthcare, top gold related and more. You can come to that uh, main event. That's on the second and on the ninth. And uh, we'll show you how many things uh, about investing, but uh, Aaron's got some special topics that he's going to look at too. He's going to look at investing in AI, electrification, and he's going to look at essentially uh a roadmap for Canadians to invest in the U.S. markets. And I'll give you five simple steps to review any stock in five minutes or less. So we got a lot packed in there. We'll answer questions at the end. All of us will be there to answer questions as well. So again, November 2nd, November 9th, be there. All right, there, let's right? move on. Be there or be square? Is that did somebody yeah. say that? Yeah, uh, I'm actually. <laughs> uh, I mean, just on the uh, the webinar, I'm excited to see your new Cedar segment because mm. now we have to. There's do a, a CDAR lot product. less Cedar in this one because <laughs> yeah. it is awful. So yeah, yes, exactly. And, but we're using so a different for, for, uh, service for everybody's reference here. Cedar yeah, in Canada, nobody knows what the, the website about. where all public company financial statements are stored, which we have used in the past to access company financials and do a lot of our screening. Uh, they came out with a new system, a new website called Cedar Plus. We think it should have been named Cedar Minus. Yes. <laughs> well in done. spite of the fact that the original Cedar sat there for like 25 years with no real upgrades, while you know, other other countries progressed forward with technology, uh, they actually took a step back instead of taking a step forward. So I would have actually taken the old archaic system that was designed in the 90s. Yeah. But um, yeah, now we and have you mean seventeen nineties, right? I think it was the good done news in the 1790s. is it's much more complicated. The bad news is <laughs> that complication adds absolutely no value to being able to get the information yeah. that you need on there. So we'll probably do a segment on it, honestly, just to uh, maybe we can bring some more attention to it and get them to actually make it user friendly because it used to. I mean, it looked like a, a dog's breakfast. It was not an, a nice looking site, but at least but you worked. could use it to simply find, you yeah. know, any information you needed, any publicly available document on any company. Um, it's there now, but it is so convoluted and slow as molasses. Yeah, exactly. it's, it, so- it's just unbelievable. And you can't, you, there's many things that we like to do on it that we can't do now. So we're using another uh, service and we'll, we'll preview that. We'll talk about that at the webinar and a simple way to do it. And then uh, on one of the podcasts, we'll take a look at it as well and yeah. uh, probably, probably rip CDAR yeah. and, uh, and see, see, you know, just show people how they can easily uh, find this information or more, simply find it in a better way than actually using CDAR itself, which is yeah, like, sad. just one last point on it. Like the search function doesn't even work on my phone anymore. So, you know, I'm, mm. Get it's not surprising. Stock, yeah. I'd get a stock tip on the golf course or something with the old CDR. I would be able to pull up the financials instantly. Now it's like, 
you know, I, it, it's tough to. Brennan is up. using a BlackBerry though, so it, <laughs> yeah, you know true. there is a yes, yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's so security yeah. conscious; he's still using it. No, but it it's a good point. Like it, it's not even working on mobile. That is, yeah, uh, it's yeah. All right, uh, we. I think Tesla had some earnings. Or did you, Aaron? Did you want to talk about rate increase coming up? Or the, I mean, we could just touch on it briefly. I don't. I don't think there's really a, a lot that needs to be said. Uh, the Bank of Canada is going to come out with a rate announcement this week. I believe it's going to be on on Wednesday. You know, they they raised last last announcement. Uh, there's a lot of fear between then and you know up till recently about them continuing to raise. It looks like the general consensus is that they will not. Um, I know that the inflation numbers came in a little bit lighter uh, for for um, last month for September. So it's uh, it's likely that they're just going to hold uh, they're just going to hold the rate flats. But we'll we'll wait and see in a couple of days here. Now the only reason why we really bring this up, I mean, it doesn't factor into our long term investment analysis really. But I do get a lot of questions um, on what is it going to take to get certain groups of stocks to start moving up again. Stocks which have been coming out with strong results, but which are otherwise um, not performing as well in, the, in in the market. I know dividend stocks, uh, not in all cases, but in some cases, are part of that group. Um, and one of the things that I always say is that you know the the, the market right now is afraid that rate increases are going to continue or that rates are going to stay high uh, for an extended period of time. You know, once we get to a point where the market is confident that the Bank of Canada isn't going to increase rates anymore. Um, and there's even the impression that rates are going to start to come down even moderately over the upcoming six months to a year. That's probably what's going to take a lot of the negative pressure, investor sentiment pressure, not, I mean, in, in many cases, these companies financially are performing well, um, but it's going to take a lot of the, the negative sentiment out of certain groups and dividend stocks being one of them because they are seen as income investments and compete with bonds. So um, yeah, look out for that on Wednesday this week. Yeah, yeah, it is shocking. Uh, sorry, do you want to? Well, you go. Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, I've made it, you know, known many times that I've been, you know, pricing houses out and seeing. And I was, I was on TV. Don't worry, nobody day. remembers. Don't worry. Probably you, you shouldn't, because yeah. who cares about my life, anyways? <laughs> but we, uh, I was on TD. Uh, we do. Uh, thanks, Ryan. But I was on TD's affordability calculator for mortgage affordability calculator. They're now quoting me. I think like a seven and a quarter percent interest yeah. rate, mm-hmm. which. You know, it's just wild. I'm priced out of the market. Yeah, which is crazy. Probably the average. Really come down, right? I think in Saskatoon, yeah. they no. started to come back up again. So yeah, like it's been pretty. Like we're still at that you know peak that we were at last summer. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, yeah. It, it it's crazy to see where the rates have come uh, from. Just since March of 2022, rates were at 0.25 percent, up to five percent from the Bank of Canada. And it's the magnitude of the move, like from 0.25 to five is over that short a period of time is unheard of, like in terms of the magnitude of that move. Now you say 7% for a mortgage, historically that used to start to be, you know, around average. It's just that we were in such a historical low. And then again, that magnitude of move up. But the problem is also because of that historical low asset prices inflated, inflated higher. So yeah. now you have people that are renewing mortgages or looking at yeah. new mortgages on on highly priced assets, but now at higher rates. So, yeah, and and and, and Tough. our area of expertise isn't the housing market, but you know there has to be some adjustment, in my opinion, at least in my opinion, at some point to bring it into in line in terms of just how much the cost of having a house is relative 
to um, you know where it has been historically in terms of you know people's income coming in. And the one item that probably has to move is, is a downward move in housing price at some point. Depending on what happens. We'll see if it happens. Yeah, depending on where you are. I mean, there's some areas probably where you're relatively safe, but there's some areas where you'd think a move downward would bring that more into line. There's we'll see one, if that happens or not. Uh, there's one like TikTok accounter. I mean, I don't have TikTok, but I was looking at it on Instagram oh, sure Reels. Mm -hmm. And they were equating, like <laughs> what they do is they'll find a property in Vancouver and then they'll find a castle in Europe that are like basically the exact same price. And you look at like the place in Vancouver and it like had like a fire in it and it's still selling for like four million or something. And they show this like 14 bedroom castle in Europe. Uh, it's, it's That's funny. it. We're going. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Anyways, let's uh, let's get into the show here. All right. Aaron's going to look at Tesla. Uh, I mean, the stock has done tremendously well year to late date, but took a significant hit last week after their uh, kind of earnings kind of missed the mark. And Aaron's going to go into that, I believe. Yes, that's right. Is so Tesla. So this is one of the mega cap seven stocks. I talked a little bit about this on Michael Campbell's show. That I oh was yeah, you were also on Michael Campbell's show this past weekend. We didn't even talk about that, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean. It was a great segment. You can listen to it. We'll post it on our website. Sign up to the podcast. We'll send that off to you. He had three recommendations there as well. Um, on top of that, you can go to the Money Talks website and uh, Mike's Money Talks and view it on there as well. It's a good. It's a. I encourage anybody uh, who you know is listening to this podcast, viewing it, uh, to go to go check that out. Okay, so let's uh, let's take a look at Tesla here. Um, trading right now at two, $215 per share. It's a $685 billion market cap company. And of course, everybody knows Tesla for being the pioneer in the electric vehicle industry. Um, but they also have other products that are focused on accelerating the world's transmission to renewable, sustainable energy. Over the last year, over the last year, we've seen uh, we've seen quite a bit of volatility in the stock. So year to date, it's it's up a tremendous amount, um, almost a hundred percent over the twelve months. A lot of volatility, a lot of ups and downs, trading just about flat. Um, but just recently, the company has seen some weakness in its share price. When we look at the one month chart, it's down about uh, twenty percent over the last two weeks, and down sixteen percent since the release of their Q three twenty twenty three financial results, which was on the eighteenth. Of October, so let's take a look at some of the financial highlights here. Um, automotive revenues were were up year over year at five percent to nineteen point six billion, um, but down eight percent compared to the most recent quarter. Um, energy generation and storage revenue up forty percent to one point six billion. Services and other revenue up thirty two percent to two point one six billion dollars. Um, so you, we're seeing very strong growth on a percentage basis year over year in energy generation and storage and other services. However, they continue to make up a relatively small percentage of the company's overall revenue. Uh, total revenues, $23.3 billion, up 9% year over year, down 6% compared to the most recent quarter. Adjusted EBITDA was down 24% to $3.76 billion compared to last year, down 19% compared to the most recent quarter. And we've seen some pretty considerable weakness in the margins. Adjusted EBITDA margin was 16.1% in the third quarter of 2023. So that's down 706 basis points 
compared to last year and 260 basis points compared to Q2 of this year. And then adjusted EPS, 66 cents per share down 37% year over year and 27% quarter over quarter. Now, looking at some of the operating highlights, the Model S deliveries uh, were down 14% compared to last year, down 17% compared to the second quarter. The Model 3 deliveries were up 29% last year and down 6% from the quarter. So on an on a aggregate basis, total deliveries for the quarter were up 27% year over year and down 7% compared to the most recent quarter. Uh, once again, we, we, we're seeing some strong growth, of course, in the storage deployed, um, up 90% compared to last year, as well as the number of supercharger stations up 31%. Uh, solar deployed was actually down by almost half compared to last year. But again, these are very small parts of the company's business and not major contributors to revenue. So the company highlighted a few factors that impacted their Q3 financial results. One was a reduced average selling price due to pricing and the mix of, of products sold. So I'm gonna actually um, look into this a little bit further in a couple of slides, because this is very important. Uh, increase in operating expenses driven by the Cybertruck, also investments into AI and other R&D projects, and also the cost of production ramp up and the idle cost of factory space as they've expanded their factory capacity. So just on the topic of the Cybertruck, the long-awaited Cybertruck, uh, that, is expected to begin deliveries in November of 2023. So long awaited, but we should start to see it contributing to profitability in 2024, according to Elon Musk. So if we look at a historical chart of Tesla's deliveries, we can see um, absolutely phenomenal and consistent growth over the last several years, especially uh, in 2021 and 2022. Um, now in 2023 for the for the third quarter, um, deliveries up about 27%. So we're still seeing fairly significant growth in deliveries, although uh, it does look like it is is slowed somewhat from the, the strong numbers in 2022. Um, but what is really concerning to me is that uh, deliveries are up um, by a quarter over a quarter, and yet revenues were only up 5%. So why is that? Um, this really comes down to pricing. So one of the things that Tesla has been doing in this market is they've been reducing prices. Uh, we can see that the Model S, which started the year at 104000 the price has been reduced to about 75000 And the Model X, starting at 121000 reduced to about 80000 So there have been some pretty considerable reductions in uh, the cost of these products now. Um, this may also be due to new, um, new models coming out. The Cybertruck is coming out. So, um, that could be a contributor going forward, depending on how it is received. Uh, but this is generally not a good sign. Um, when you have a competitive advantage, when you have a highly coveted product, you know, having to reduce your prices many times throughout the course of a year, um, and by a significant amount really is an indication that there's more competition, coming into the market and um, people are being people are more price sensitive or perhaps they're not as excited about your product as they once were. So this is something to keep an eye on. Um, delivery is still strong, but revenues, revenue growth has really slowed due to these, uh, these pricing changes on a balance sheet basis. The balance sheet looks great. 23 billion in cash, 1.4 billion in, in debt. So almost 22 billion net cash. That's uh, that's fantastic balance sheet. Uh, and then analyst estimates and valuation, how much is the company expected to grow? Well, based on the uh, average analyst consensus estimates, 
they're looking at uh, 318 in earnings per share for 2023 um, and then growth to 398 in 2024. So this year, analysts are actually expecting about a 20 uh, 20 to 25% decline in earnings per share, um, and then about a 25% increase in earnings per share next year. But we see, based on uh, price to earnings, the company's valuation uh, for this year um, expected earnings would be 68 times this year's expected analyst consensus, and then f- dropping to 54 um, next year. So we're seeing, in spite of um, what appears to be some pretty serious uncertainties, at least from my perspective, the company still trades at a very elevated valuation. So our take on Tesla, well, it does continue to be a market leader in a, in a growing industry. Um, there are opportunities that the company is taking advantage of to expand beyond just electric vehicles. Uh, we see they are contributing, although there's still a small percentage of the company's total revenue. One thing that I didn't spend a lot of time focused on um, is AI, how they are really a top AI company. They are a leader in the self-driving car space. Um, Although regulations have, have really slowed that down, um, but they that that is that is a, a leadership position for them. They also have a cash rich balance sheet. Um, but on the negative side, growth is starting to show signs of slowing, and certainly those reductions in price uh, product prices are a bad sign. They're having to do that in order to keep the deliveries up and keep their factories running. Um, we're seeing a substantial increase in competition over the next five years. Virtually all of the major auto manufacturers are coming out with uh, more electric vehicles. These are all companies that have more experience manufacturing cars than Tesla. So one of the things that Tesla is has a great reputation for is just technology. One of the things they just don't have the best reputation for is just general craftsmanship in their cars, or at least so I've heard from people that have owned them. Uh, and then an expensive valuation relative to the current growth expectations. So you're basically looking at flat two-year growth from last year to next year, yet still trading at, you know, the 55 to 70 times earnings range. So our take right now, we think that the the valuation is too expensive. There's near-term uncertainty. Um, Long-term, certainly there are opportunities that could exist with this company. Uh, In the technology side, depending on how they develop, how their non-EV products um, expand and start to contribute in the future, there's always a possibility that they're kind of going to come out with some breakthrough technology and really blow everybody's socks off. But you know, there are other companies out there that also have similar potential um, that are trading at a far more attractive valuation. So right now we're on the sidelines with Tesla. Excellent job. Yeah, I like that you pulled up to just, you know, where prices have moved or came from for each of their vehicles. Um, you know, like we ended up highlighting them or including them as a monitor in our uh, electrification report. Uh, sign up to our webinar uh, or our upcoming webinars and you'll get that electrification report for free. Um, but, you know, Aaron kind of highlighted a few of the key points uh, that I mentioned in there. You know, like one thing I say is, you know, Tesla has cut prices to drive higher volumes and supposedly try to maintain market share. But we're continuing to see that market share slowly erode here. Um, And Musk basically said the the thought here um, would be to, you know, uh, cut some revenue growth on basically the vehicle sales, but potentially, you know, get some kind of subscription based uh, revenue for the vehicle autonomy later on. And I mean, me and Brett had had a conversation about this previously. And I think he made a good point where, you know, if you have another company that maybe isn't charging, you know, a subscription for their vehicle autonomy, it kind of, you know, undercuts Tesla if they do 
start charging, you know, a monthly or an annual subscription. Like, you know, we started talking about just BMW, for example, like look at BMW, I think it was two years ago where they were starting to charge um, subscriptions for like heated seats and, you know, add-ons. And I just, you know, how, how would that work? I, I just don't understand how, how that could work. And of course they did roll that back. Um, but yeah, I think that that could be a challenge um, you know, like I, I do plot out in my report there on Tesla, um, you know, just kind of the, the market share as well. And we've seen BYD or yeah, BYD auto, uh, based out of China, um, you know, go from a 7% market share in Q2 of 2021 to now supposedly they're at 21% as at Q1 of 2023. So that's still kind of a little bit lagged. Um, but we are seeing, you know, potentially Tesla's market share get eroded and, of course, you know, Porsche, Volkswagen, all of these companies are starting to, you know, release their own vehicles uh, as well. So, you know, it, it might be hard to, you know, maintain that market share. I agree with Aaron. It, it, as far as I've heard, Tesla has a wonderful product. Um, but yeah, it's just it might be tough to to maintain that market share. And, you know, of course, we're paying a huge valuation premium to, you know, potentially, you know, ride the stock or invest in the stock, uh, you know, when this is kind of looming overhead and it could, you know, it, it wouldn't be good if, you know, market share continues to decline, of course. Um, anyways, that's my ramble. Uh, I'll add a bit on to what I've mentioned, uh, Brennan, before. The really big issue I see with Tesla is them bridging the gap between that enthusiast or luxury market buyer to the average consumer. And that's where you'll see that subscription come in. If an average person sees a subscription at, let's say a couple thousand a year, they might go for a different vehicle because over the lifetime of vehicles, the average normally people will have, I think about 12 or 13 years now. So that's the price of nearly a whole new car at that point, yeah. if you're going for a cheaper car. And I think you're seeing that as well with Tesla's Cybertruck. They're having issues with demand and production at this point. They're, they're trying to re release this unique enthusiast level product and yet they can't really produce it at scale at this point. And it's hard to, I, I forget, I know they dropped the pricing on it. Brandon might know the pricing, but it's an expensive vehicle. And that's not going to really want to, the average consumer, even the average truck, premium truck buyer, might want to just go for the F-150 mm -hmm. yeah. at that point because yeah. they're, they're the releasing competition. Extremely ugly. Just, just And saying. it is ugly. And yeah, <laughs> yeah no, really, but, really ugly. It, it's a How niche product. <laughs> Yeah, one, it is. How <laughs> dare you? Yeah, one quote that, like, and I think this kind of scared the it market is. a little bit. This is right from their uh, conference call. Aaron's um, quote right there. It's ugly. That scares people too. No, I, I think that this Go. is Musk saying this. Let me just, yeah. So this I, is I Musk. Yeah, Musk said it was ugly. Yes. <laughs> he says, um, you know, I know a lot of people are excited about the tr Cybertruck. I am too. I've driven the car. It's an amazing product. I do want to emphasize that there will be an enormous challenges or enormous challenges in reaching volume production with the Cybertruck and then in making a Cybertruck cash flow positive. Um, so, I mean, he's really kind of maybe, at least he's being transparent with the market, I guess, you know, he's not like promising. I mean, he may be forecasting out like a margin depression, you know, basically yeah. through that and yeah, exactly. over the next few years, well, it's, it's I, not, depending it's, on how I mean, long the ramp not a, It's not a high margin for the ramp. overall, yeah, right? Yeah. So like what, what were the, what were the EBITDA margins for the quarter? 16%. That's, that's, that's a low EBITDA yeah. margin. I mean, it's, it's not. And to like the sector valuations, to be honest, like, like, like the mean is like 12 times non-GAAP. 
Like mm-hmm. this sector has not, like the automobile manufacturers have not traded at for decades any type of premium uh, valuations. It's really a discount to the market well, now. Valued as many of them company. are, of course, it is. Yeah. yeah, but many of these companies, like Ford, has a, for example, I mean, they have a ton of EVs. Look at their balance sheet relative to Tesla. Like it's a, it's a, it's an eyesore. Like they have mm-hmm. 144 billion in debt and 29 million in cash. So like relative to the flip that. Um, uh, the net cash position that Tesla has, but but Aaron's right; it is being ver- valued as a tech company. But do like some of the traditional manufacturers close the gap in between them, and then you know, and if you see reduced market share, can you pay fifty eight times earnings? It was earlier this year. Tesla, you know, was one hundred and forty or something at some point in that range. It was starting to look more attractive, particularly if. You know, at the start of the year, there was forecasted growth for EPS this year. Uh, then it got cut back a bit. Um, you were starting to get to a more 30 times, almost in that range, and it was get, getting a little bit more attractive, but it just bounced off there at the start of the year uh, with all the other, essentially the mega cap, seven or eight companies. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and now you're paying a premium multiple, and we went over some issues. It's not that it's a horrible company. There's certainly worse companies out there, but you're paying that premium and there is some, you know, issues right now, and they're even being telegraphed quite specifically by the C or by Elon Musk himself, right? Yeah, and like there was another, like I also in our electrification report, um, I also, you know, did a monitor report on BYD company, and you know, like in my due diligence, a lot of the the thing was is that you know, twenty twenty three, we're seeing BYD guide toward one point seven five million passenger EVs. Um, and Tesla's, you know, target is 1.8 million deliveries for 2023. So, you know, analysts are guiding for 2024 for BYD to actually surpass uh, Tesla here. So, again, you know, BYD is is maybe taking that majority market share. And then, like Ryan just said, we have all of these other competitors that, uh, you know, are, are just household names already uh, in the market that uh, are starting to uh, enter. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's. Um, I'm going to talk about. Uh, we got a question come in uh, that came in about uh, w- what type of stocks generally should we invest in during a recession? And there's been a good deal of a recession coming. It's been ongoing for probably over a year now. Will North North American markets drop into a recession or not? So generally, uh, which stocks? to invest in what type of stocks in a recessionary environment. Well, this would be your traditional playbook here. Um, You're looking at generally, you know, to start healthcare related businesses uh, is is one area that essentially uh, investors and advisors will tell you. Um, It makes sense, be it pharma or medical devices, uh, people need access to these life-saving products no matter what's happening in the economy. I'll give you an example of some. These are large US companies, Johnson and Johnson, CVS Health, Pfizer, and United Group. Uh, the next group that is traditionally looked at are consumer staples. Uh, people need to eat even when the economy hits a rough patch. However, consumers tend to shift their eating habits from dining at restaurants to preparing more food at home. Grocery stores and packaged food makers tend to be somewhat recession resistant. Likewise, other consumer staples such as household and personal products tend to experience stable demand in recessions. These type of companies, again, I'm going with some of the larger U.S. companies here, 
Kroger, PepsiCo, Procter Gamble, General Mills. Also, you know, you can look at utility like or utility or utility like businesses. Uh, even when businesses close or people lose their jobs during recessions, demand for electricity, wastewater, uh, waste collection, natural gas, they remain relatively stable. Utilities and utility like companies generate reasonably consistent earnings throughout recessions historically. Some examples of a utility or utility like companies would be American Water Works, uh, Brookfield Infrastructure, which we know well, NextEra Energy. Finally, we'll look at kind of low-cost retailers. Consumers spend more carefully during recessions. Many people begin buying less expensive items. They also typically reduce discretionary spending. Instead, they usually spend more money at dollar stores, discount retailers, and buy basic foods and other basic requirements. Examples of these would include well-known names such as Walmart, Dollar General, and or Costco. And Costco has that beautiful subscription model as well. Now, I would add uh, companies that are more, that offer more semi-essential services, uh, such as auto repair. And a good example of this would be the Boyd Group. It's an auto repair consolidator that we have recommended for the past 15 years. The They actually benefit sometimes in in a in a downturn so it, those are those are the type of companies again traditionally that you can look at now in my opinion these are kind of goalposts but they oversimplify the equation for example not every healthcare related business is the same you can even have two healthcare related businesses that grow by acquisition for example they service the same niche in healthcare but the capital structure or balance sheet on each of them do matter during a recession, capital becomes more difficult to access, even for a great business. Uh, if a company has, I'm going to use company A and company B here. If company A has no debt and a strong net balance sheet, cash rich balance sheet versus company B with a heavy debt load, limited cash and high debt service payments, their opportunities, even there are opportunities and risks, even in a recession between the two can differ greatly. Company A with a strong balance sheet can continue to execute on a growth by acquisition strategy, for example, from its internally generated cash and existing balance sheet. Company B will continue to have to service its debt and will find capital more difficult to access via either debt or equity, and it'll be more difficult to execute on a growth by acquisition strategy. Now, the bonus here in a recession is that company A is likely acquiring businesses now at depressed valuations. This is the best time to make those acquisitions essentially. So company B, the debt heavy business miss, misses out on uh, to a degree on the best time to execute its own growth by acquisition study or uh, strategy. Now the question that we got, it went on to give, uh, ask us to give an example of a kind of non-traditional example of a stock that could perform well during a recession. And I'll give you an example of that here. It's Eng House Limited, symbol ENGH on the TSX, trades around 32.70 now, $1.5 billion market cap, 2.77% dividend. Eng House is a vertical enterprise software solutions company. It focuses on contact centers, video communications, healthcare, telecommunications networks, and public safety, and the transit market. The company's two-pronged strategy of growth uh, for, focuses on internal growth from uh, internal 
organic growth, uh, which again, I'd like to see more organic growth in this business, but they are focused on that. Uh, there's acquisitions as well, which really drive the growth, which to date over its history have been funded through operating cash flow. Now, Enjos has no outstanding debt and is organized in two business segments. That would be the interactive management and the asset management group. Now here we have, you can see the balance sheet here, huge net cash position, 250 million essentially in cash and no debt. The company also produces in the range of about 80 to 100 million annually in cash flow to fund acquisitions. It's universal potential acquisitions in a recession comes on sale when capital is tougher to access. And those are the reasons why we, this is kind of a non-traditional way to play into a recession, buy a business that will benefit and come out on the other side looking stronger. And it's not a surprise to me that we look over the past month, uh, the share price has been going up. Whereas you look at the TSX composite index on average been going down. And if you look at the venture down almost 9% over the past month, um, people are looking for safety. You can have safety in a good balance sheet in a business that is relatively recession resistant as well, but that's a non-traditional way of looking at it. And that'll finish it off. Yeah, good summary. Um, you know, one piece of like learning that uh, Ryan and Aaron taught myself is, you know, in one of the chat sessions, we had a, a question coming from a client and was asking, you know, generally what stocks are, are good to invest in in a rising interest rate environment. And I was taught by a professor in school that generally utilities are, are where to place your cash. But, you know, Ryan, like, and I, we're always on the phone during our chat sessions. And, and I said that this is how I'm going to respond to it. And Ryan was like, wait, 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 whoa, what, what do you mean? Like, it all depends. And exactly the points mm -hmm. that you just went over, you know, comparing company A to company B, you know, it, just because interest rates are going up doesn't mean that every utility is a great investment, you know, or, yeah. or general, you know. And utilities pay dividends often. They're in, you're in it for a dividend, particularly in the near term when it starts, uh, you know, they're competing for, exactly. you know, in terms of uh, your return that you can get on a risk-free investment, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't have to be because they can be dividend growers over time, but particularly in the short term. And then many of them are debt laden. So their cost of capital is going up exactly. if they haven't. Uh, there's smart utilities that are using long duration that, that don't have the fluctuations or they're hedging, but there's, we shouldn't be surprised, but there's some that aren't doing it properly. There's tons of businesses that don't do their business properly. And that's why you have to look into a business. You can't just, Oh, I'm buying a utility at this time. You know, it's utility A and utility B can be completely different when you well, look that, at that, them from a that financial also perspective. That you have the ability to time when the market is going to change as well, of course right? there's all of I mean, overlay that on top of all of this right and you don't people will ask us like well what what do you think the odds are of, are of a recession and you know saying that there's going to be a recession doesn't really give you much information it doesn't tell you how how long the recession is going to be how deep the recession is going to be so if you load up with utility stocks you know you have a higher than normal allocation of just utilities because you expect a very stiff recession and you're wrong. And then it doesn't happen. You're, 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 <laughs> then it's that's yeah. not going to work out for you. So no. rather than trying to predict where the market's going to go, the better strategy is to build a portfolio that has a mix of different companies that are solid, profitable businesses. And a few of those may be utility style businesses. I mean, we found several in our, in our income research that 
they have the defensive characteristics of utility, but then they also are able to grow, grow their dividends, grow their earnings per share. So, you know, they have a place in the portfolio, as do, um, you know, top tech companies, um, talk in, top industrial companies and um, other types of businesses as well. But by building a portfolio that is positioned to benefit or withstand any market or a variety of different economic scenarios, that's where you're setting yourself up for success. And you're not relying on your own ability to time the market and predict the future, which you're not going to be able to do time and time again consistently. And there are people that will switch to those type of stocks <clears throat> that I just went over. And, you know, right now, and if you don't hit a recession, they may be completely wrong. And, and, and then know, how do you know when to, to get out of those when the recession that, ends, <laughs> right? And when money starts going back. Even if you're doing it through an ETF, stocks. how do you know when to time it? You're likely going to be, uh, it's going to be a futile effort of chasing around where you think uh, the economy is going to go. Rather than focusing on the companies, find the good business that has good cash flow. They tend to do better regardless of market conditions overall. That is a better strategy than uh, trying to find out where you think the market is going to go next week, next year, or three, four years from now. All right, I think that ends that segment. Uh, we got Brennan here, don't we? I think you're going to look at some little tiny NTG clarity. This is, uh, do we even call it a nano cap? Is it a Pico cap or what is it? Like, is it a $3 million market cap? Yeah, it's $5.2 like million dollar uh, market three. cap right. or three, close <laughs> enough. Right, three to five. Um, I mean, Jeremy called it, who who asked the question, he, he calls it a nano cap, but I don't know. There I, you go. Maybe it's a Pico cap. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. No, it's a small company, but you're yeah, going to take small a look. Company. It's been around for couple decades at least right mm -hmm. yeah exactly and and jeremy even says that if this ticker is too tiny just tell me and yeah if there's a minimum market cap that you work at or work with but anyways i thought that i'd look at it regardless For so sure. uh yes it came in from jeremy who is a private investor and uh we met with him uh in vancouver or he was at the conference uh at the planet micro comp micro cap conference uh in vancouver hey jeremy and, uh yes How's yes i had some good conversations with him he's a good guy um, so thanks for your patience, Jeremy, because it did take a while for me to get to this. Uh, and again, it is NTG Clarity Networks, Inc. Uh, the ticker symbol is uh, NCI on the TSX Venture, currently trading at a price of just three and a half cents and a market cap of about 5.2 million. So NTG Clarity Networks, Inc. provides telecom and IT software and support solutions for telecom, utilities, enterprise, governments, and finance companies. Uh, the company has offices in Canada, the US, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Oman, uh, which is a country also in the uh, Middle East. Um, moving on here, uh, the company's revenue distribution is at about three uh, quarters professional services and about half or, and sorry, about uh, one quarter uh, products and, and software. Um, pre professional services includes software development, uh, operations, support systems, and business support systems, as well as training and security. And their software products include uh, their operations and support systems as well, and business support systems, as well as ERP systems, and their smart to go uh, e-business system, which is essentially enterprise software platform for uh, e-commerce. Now, looking at the financial results, long-term revenue growth has been quite volatile. But over the last three years, there has been a good uptick in revenue, going from about $7.9 million in 2020 to $17.7 uh, in 2022. And the business appears that it will 
uh, put up a record year this year in 2023. So looking at the Q2 2023 results uh, released in August, revenue was up about 87% year over year to 6.37 million. And this was primarily due to increasing revenue in Saudi Arabia, uh, where they added approximately 10 new customers. Uh, And this is kind of just due to uh, the economy doing quite well there because of the increase in oil price. Now, net income was up about 265% year over year to just under 700,000. And earnings per share was half of a cent uh, compared to nil for Q2 of 2022. Uh, The company has 440,000 in cash and debt of about 7.67 million. Now, one thing that Jeremy actually listed here uh, for me to kind of look into is um, I I did look at it. Most of this debt or about 6.5 million is held by a numbered company, which is controlled by the company's CEO. Uh, So the company has agreed to extend the grace period for principal installment repayments until December 2023, just to help with the company's cash flow, essentially, or at least that's what I read in the MDNA. Uh, And uh, I did look, the interest rate on the loan is prime plus 2%. So that gives them net debt of about 7.23 million uh, or a net debt to EBITDA multiple of about two and a half times. So the outlook. Now, Jeremy provided me with some 2023 revenue projections, which I don't know exactly where he got them. I'm not sure if it's his own napkin math or if the company did uh, publish something. I I couldn't find it personally, Uh, but he quoted for 2023 expected revenue to be about 24 million and about 4 million in earnings, which would provide a forward PE multiple of about uh, 1.3 times, which is quite low, of course. Um, However, I also wanted just to see uh, where this forward earnings multiple would be uh, if we just annualize Q2 2023 earnings. Uh, So the stock would be trading uh, at about uh, 1.9 times forward earnings if we just annualize the Q2 there. And the company also provided some uh, comments in color, uh, again, indicating that Saudi Saudi Arabia's uh, economy has been strong due to oil prices. uh, So they uh, note that they continue to have some strong demand in the Middle East. So to conclude, I think the question here is, is NCI deep value or a value trap? Now, the company has shown good growth over the past three years. But will it continue is my major is my major concern. You know, it, it appears that growth is poised in the Middle East, but the dismal track record of consistent growth does concern me to some degree and is maybe why we're getting such a, a discount. Um, now, the stock is trading at a very low forward P multiple. Uh, but again, it is somewhat expected given the weak track record and consistent or of consistent growth. And of course, the Uh, exposure to the Middle East. Now, the balance sheet is reasonable and management is aligned with shareholders with large insider ownership. Uh, However, I do wish that the company's share count was a little cleaner as I believe they've got about 148 million shares outstanding. That's basic. Uh, I think they've got 167 million uh, diluted. But even in Q2 of 2023, when the company posted around 700,000 in earnings, this only equates to half of a penny uh, per share in the quarter. So it's kind of hard for them to, you know, create significant earnings. Now, overall, if the company can replicate the growth over the past three years, there is a case that the stock offers investors deep value. But due to the tiny size of the company, lack of track record, 
lack of liquidity, as well as exposure to the Middle East. It is not a stock that we would recommend to clients. Um, but thanks for sending it over, Jeremy. I did think that it was interesting. Uh, the valuation is compelling. Again, if growth can continue, which you know I have a question mark about, I'm not too sure if I'm convinced that it will, um, or at least for 2024 and 2025, you know, afterwards. Um, but as well, you know, I'll, I'll open it up to the other or to the guys here. But as well, if there's anything you know that I missed, uh, you know, please leave a comment on YouTube or uh, send me a, an email. Um, and you know, maybe I can even just comment it on YouTube, just if anyone else is curious. So you mentioned that the market cap, sorry, is three point five million. Uh, five point one. Sorry, yeah. five point one. Okay, okay, but thirty five percent is insider owned. Correct. So only about two thirds of that. Um, only about two thirds of that are is actually publicly trading. I mean, we couldn't recommend it to our clients, no. even if we liked it. It's just we they 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 couldn't buy it. It's too thinly traded. Um, but debt again, remind me of the, the, how much debt they have. They have, it's uh 7.7 million in debt. 6.5 of it is owned or owed to a company, uh, that the CEO basically owns as well. So it's like a number okay. company basically. Okay. Right. Um, right. Yes. And so, it's all variable debt. Um, most of it is variable debt. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. so that's more, they have more debt than their market cap. Um, mm -hmm. you highlighted the net debt to EBITDA. I'd be, I'd be interested in seeing the interest coverage mm -hmm. on that, given that they're, uh, paying what, like you said, I think in prime the, plus two, uh, for this. Yes, it was for oh, it's actually pretty good six for and a half. Years, million that they owe to the CEO. Yes, it's prime yeah. plus two. Okay. And like, again, it looks like, uh, you know, the CEO was basically allowing for no principal payments until 2023. I don't know if that technically mm -hmm. benefits him if, you know, rates continue to rise and, you know, maybe he. I actually may, well, I, I think it's money. probably more just like, how's the company going to make mm -hmm. principal payments, right? Mm -hmm. They need their cash flow and they don't want to raise shares at this price. And yeah. Any yeah. debt they get is probably going to be a lot more expensive than that. So for sure, yeah. Because prime, yeah, I mean, about seven, seven and a half percent, I believe. So I mean, that that's a pretty good rate for a company that size. I yeah. think that you know a lot of companies that size, if they went to the market, they'd be looking at ten, twelve percent, probably. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if they can hit the forward numbers that you have on there, but you couldn't confirm those, you I, didn't see them no, anywhere. But if they get hit there, it was you know, it looks on a valuation basis, if you took out, you know, the fact that it's hard to buy and sell uh, liquidity issues and the size of it, you know, it looks relatively uh, attractive, but there is uh, IT services, the recurring na nature of the business. I know in the past it's been basically contract driven. Uh, I'm not sure now we haven't looked at it closely in a couple several years. Uh, so if it is just contract driven, it can be a bit boom and bust in terms of, you know, you don't have that, uh, it's not like a SaaS business model. At least it was not in the past. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Anybody out there on it now, uh, that would be, you know, you got to continue to have contracts. So I would look at and track a backlog on this business if they have that and to see where we are in terms of their backlog. If it keeps going up over time, if it did, might be a good sign. They obviously have to make a good margin off that backlog too, but uh, you know, you would hope they would be, and that would be something I would track on the business as well. I'm not sure if they have that out there. 
So interesting, but uh, certainly a small company and, and Brennan got it answered there. So let's do our star and dog of the week as we're going to start with our star, like we use our dog, <laughs> our dog of the week, right? Because we go out on a positive note and our Always dog of the up. week, Solar Edge, right? Dog of the week is Solar Edge. And Brett's got that. Like Ryan said, our dog of the week is Solar Edge Technologies, simple S-E-D-G on the NASDAQ. Solar Edge specializes in creating direct current optimized inverter systems for solar photovoltaic. <laughs> See, nobody can say it. Brennan's got me now too. It's Brennan's fault. Yes. <laughs> solar photovoltaic applications. That, yeah, that's it. Well, well, something like that. Well, one day we'll learn to speak. <laughs> no. Their offerings so. include <laughs> power optimizers, inverters, and cloud-driven monitoring platform catering to various solar market segments. This includes everything from small-scale residential solar projects to commercial and smaller utility-scale solar deployments, but it's primarily residential. The stock is trading at $84 a share, down 70% year-to-date, and they're down 36% over the past month. The stock price really began to, began to fall after its Q2 earnings at the start of August. It guided that its Q3 earnings would be weak, with the expectation of revenue being between 880 to 920 million, well below the analyst consensus at the time, which was roughly 1.05 billion. So it was shy by about 170 million. At the midpoint, this implies revenue growth of 7.6%. Also, the expectation of non gap gross margin was to be between 28 and 31%. The CEO really attributed this drop in guidance to drop in U.S. residential solar installation, as well as a result of higher interest rates, lowering demand ultimately. So after this, market sentiment for solar edge was clearly negative. However, fast forward now to October. The company released a further update guidance for its Q3, which comes out in a couple weeks. The company now expects Q3 revenue to be between $720 million to $730 million, which is a year-over-year decline now of 13.4%. As well, gross margins are now expected to be only between 20.1% and 21.1%. So not only less sales, but less profitable sales at that. The decrease results in expected gap operating loss of $9 million to loss of $28 million. Non-operating gap, non-gap operating is still profit of about 12 to 31 million, but it will be a substantial drop either way from its 120 0.2 million in the prior year. So substantial drop, even though they are still profitable, obviously, on a non-gap operating basis. The drop in guidance is really due to significant cancellations of existing backlog from their European distributors, as well as end market install rates were significantly slower than historic amounts for the September quarter, which normally picks up quite a bit. So initial guidance was lower as US was weaker. And now that weakness has really come to Europe, the company is just seeing weakness all around in its major markets. Just a note as well, the company is headquartered and has one of their manufacturing facilities in Israel, which it hasn't been materially impacted by the conflict there, but it would not be exactly surprising as that pl- plays a role in the stock price as, can, as market sentiment will likely already be negative. They see it's headquartered in Israel, they see they have facilities in Israel, and every company that seems to be attached to Israel in some way has taken a bit of a hit. So you just have bad news plus that additional risk now, and people are really just causing the stock to go down. The company does report its Q3 earnings on November the 1st, but for now, it's our dog of the week. 
Yeah. Awesome. Um, again, another <laughs> company that we've, uh, highlighted in, um, in, in our electrification report again, buy an early bird ticket to our webinar. You guys will get this report for free, which again includes uh, solar edge and end phase energy, which are both, you know, competitors. Um, and we've even been getting, we questions. have a webinar coming up. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, we Good. do have Thanks. a webinar coming up, uh, <laughs> November 2nd and 9th. Thank you. Anyways, Don't worry, um, everyone. Ryan won't be speaking there, so <laughs> yeah, we haven't told him about it. No, nice. Uh, yeah, no crap, nice plug, but, Oh yeah, my I god, mean, our ticket sales just went up in real time there. <laughs> no. Um, All right, but sorry. What, it is really incredible how much Solar Edge has come down, and and I, I do question like how much of that has to also do with the fact that they are headquartered in Israel and investors being worried about that. So. Long term, I do think this is a, a fantastic company, but it's never a good sign when you enter into a period where, um, you know, customers start canceling a lot of orders significantly, and then the the company has to reduce its guidance significantly. So, this is one I would say, you know, we're going to keep a fairly close eye on this one. Um, if they're able to get anywhere close to analyst estimates for next year, which I'd be very suspicious that they will, mm -hmm. but if they could, then it's trading at an extremely low valuation, but I would just watch it for now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, one of our uh, clients, and see. Oh, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Or that was it. Yeah. Just, I was going to just say, you know, one of our clients, he knows that, you know, we've been watching solar edge closely. We've been watching Enphase closely. Um, you know, but, the one thing that when we did our electrification report is again, just what Brett said is, you know, all of a sudden we're seeing, you know, softening demand in the U S um, which, you know, kind of led to, you know, weaker uh, financials. I think like even for end phase, it was like the first sequential decline in revenue that we had actually um, seen over like the last, you know, 20 quarters or something along those lines. Um, you know, and again, one of our clients has been, you know, asking us every U.S. chat, like, do you guys still like it? Do you guys still like it? And again, the, the thought is, is again, it's a good company or Solar Edge is a good company. Enphase is also a good company as well. Um, but again, it's just waiting till there's more clarity that, you know, uh, demand in the U.S. isn't continuing to soften is, uh, you, you know, there might continue to be several quarters ahead where revenue and earnings is going to be down, which would make it very hard for the stock to, of course, you know, go up when, you know, the financials are kind of falling apart to some degree. I mean, not completely falling apart, but just momentarily, of course. Excellent. Now we're going to end on a positive note as we go out. So positive here with Celestica, right? This company has been around forever uh, since the start well. of the decade or the, just I, in the, IPO 1998. And yes, it was got it. previously a division of uh, IBM. Yeah. So before that. So yes. For decades before that, as far as I understand too. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's been around forever. But like I said, our star of the week is Celestica, both CLS on both the TSX and as well as the New York Stock Exchange. Celestica delivers innovative supply chain solutions to global customers through two segments, Advanced Technology Solutions, or ATS, and Connectivity and Cloud Solutions, or CCS. The ATS segment serves aerospace and defense, industrial, health tech, semiconductor, display, and robotics. The CCS segment serves communications and server and storage businesses. The stock is up a whopping 123% over just the past six months, putting the price at Thirty-five fifty Canadian, a price it has not seen since two thousand and two. So me and Brennan were babies back then. 
So why is the stock finally seeing a substantial increase after 20 years of stagnation? The company saw a major jump after its fiscal Q2 2023 earnings in late July. The company reported a strong revenue growth of 13% for the year to $1.94 billion, with increased operating margin of 5.5% from 4.8% and adjusted EPS increasing to $0.55 cents from $0.44. Cents. A strong increase from top to bottom. The growth comes from a couple of factors that normalize supply chains over the past year, especially for its aerospace and defense market. It was really a return across the entire industry. It was very weak in that 2020 to 2022, and we finally seen a reversal in that aerospace and defense market. As well, they saw strong growth from its hyperscaler data center customers, driven by the surge in AI and machine learning, which has seen increased demand for proprietary computer solutions. Further on top of the great results, the company raised its 2023 outlook to revenue of $7.85 billion from $7.6 billion and an adjusted EPS of $2.25 compared to a range of $2 to $2.05, which they initiated at the start of the year. So about 10% increase from what their expectations were at the start of the year. As well, the company anticipates 10% or more adjusted EPS growth for fiscal 2024, which is things calendar 2024, which is roughly $2.50 per share which would put the valuation for the company about 10 times its 2024 adjusted earnings. So as a whole, really, Celestica has really just had a great year of growth. Not only has it been able to meet its expectations, but it's been able to move them up. The company reports its Q3 earnings later this week, so we'll be able to see if it's able to continue its trend of from top to bottom growth with that margin actually staying above really 5%. But either way, for now, it's our star of the week. Awesome. Who wants to comment on that? I was staring at space during the whole thing, so I missed it. Oh, Aaron wants to, but he's muted. I'm just kidding. I, I was watching Aaron talk, and he's, I was, you're uh, muted, Aaron. Okay, I think I'm unmuted now. There you go. No, I just I I, I, a couple points that I will make Sorry. about the company. One, it is it is a low margin business, so net profit <laughs> margin in that five percent range. Um, historically, as well, you know, the revenue growth has been very inconsistent. So great revenue, great growth this year. Strong revenue growth last year in the three years before that really flat to like a slight downward trend in revenue. So I think, you know, talking, if, if one were to have a conversation with management, we would want to know, you know, what has changed about the company? Um, or are you just basically in the, in the good part of the cycle right now? And um, once that cycle ends, you're going to, you're going to see negative, uh, negative revenue growth. Yeah, it would be it would be certainly good to know that because there is something that has changed, whether it be end markets right now, end market demand, but in the last couple of years, a real surge in terms of uh, uh, revenues and profitability in the business. So that those would be reasons, you know, we'd want to talk to the management and figure out what has changed. Can that continue? Because if it can, then there is potential for a longer term move in the stock. If it is something that is one time in nature, there's where we'd be more, uh, wary, obviously. Or if it had some market conditions that were uh, more just to that period. So, you know, those are the things that we'd look at. Again, look at uh, what the backlog is in the business too as well. Excellent. I think that does it for this week. Again, sign up for that those live upcoming webinars. We'd love to see you there. Answer all your questions at the ends in real time, but any stock that you've got uh, in your portfolio or looking at to put in your portfolio or any strategies that you uh, have some questions about. We'll do that in live real time at the end of that for at least 30 minutes. Again, 
keep your questions coming into our your stock our take segment if you're viewing this right now smash the subscribe button on youtube if you're listening to it on the podcast rate and review us on itunes only positive reviews of course and as always i'll wish you profitable investing thank you thank you thanks everyone thank you